Amen. If you would turn with me to 1 John. We continue there this morning, chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 7. And you're going to notice that this passage is about loving and loving one another. Let's read it, and then we will explore the glorious Word of God together this morning. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. Sends the reading of God's word. Musicians love to sing about love. So think of some of your favorite songs that you can think back in time and space and your maybe your childhood, or maybe even right now, your favorite songs. There's a catalog of them. The Beatles, All You Need Is Love. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Even Jay Giles' band, Love Stinks. If you grew up around the time I did, perhaps you remember Tina Turner. Her little song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Well, according to John, it's got everything to do with it. It's got everything to do with it. Last week, we introduced and we saw uh, that test. Remember, John's going to have three tests, a moral test, a relationship test, and a doctrinal test. We saw last week that moral test, that if you say... You love God, but you don't do what he commands? You're lying. You're lying. And so today, we're going to get a specific example of that. And it's going to go into the second test, the relationship test. We're, the, com the commandment he's dealing with today that you need to keep if you're a believer is that you're to love one another. So as we look at this text, three things. The commandment of love. The example of Christ. And then we want to ask, what's that look like? Because I don't want us just to be theoretical and walk out here saying, oh, I feel like Jesus loves me. No, I want to know, if I'm supposed to love like Jesus loves, what's that look like? So that's going to be the third thing that we do this morning. So, notice the command. 
This commandment isn't new. It's an old commandment. When John says it's an old commandment, uh, it could mean a couple different things. So we should explore that. First off, he could, he could be saying, this isn't new. You've heard this from me time and time again. You've heard this from me since I started, right? Since, since the churches began here. Over and over, from John, you have heard me say, you should love one another. Preachers do have pet themes, don't they? Things that they always go back to. Uh, the Baptist who can take any text and end up talking about immersion. We've all heard that guy, right? You've all heard that. I've been accused of talking in, about Pilgrim's Progress way too much. Okay? It happens. We have our, something said or something's triggered and something in our mind go, cl clicks on and boom, we're off running about some of our favorite topics. It happens. Well, John's favorite topic is love. You see it time and time again. He's an example of love, all right? Remember what John and his brother, they had nicknames? You remember what their nickname was? Yeah, Boanerges, Sons of Thunder. Well, that Son of Thunder became the Apostle of Love. I mean, what an example. Jerome tells us, remember, so Jerome translated uh, the Old New Testament into Latin, and it was the Bible up till the time of the Reformation. Jerome said that in his old age, John would be brought into the church in Ephesus, and he wasn't able to preach anymore, but he would be brought in on this pallet, and he would just say to love one another, love one another. And if asked why did he always say that, he said, because it's the Lord's commandment, and if you do this, it's everything. It's everything. John's saying, look, you've heard me preach on this. If there is one thing that you know from me, it's this. You should love one another. It's nothing new. Love one another. The master taught them this, right? So they had John's gospel. Remember, when we started this letter, he established in his gospel who Jesus Christ was and, and called people to believe in him. And now in this letter, he's encouraged them. How do I know I believe him? And he's giving reasons for assurance of that. So he says, hey, you've got my gospel. You've had the gospel of John. You know what the master taught. You know. You've read it. Jesus said, no new commandment, a new commandment I leave with you to love one another. You know it. You've heard this, so this shouldn't be new to you. And he's going to say lots about love. Uh, as we go through this book, he's going to bring it up time and time again. So this is, he's just introducing it right here. That's one thing that he could mean. He could be meaning something else. He could be meaning both of these things, actually. That and it's not new because it's old. It's always been there. It's been there from the beginning, like the beginning of the Bible. It's there. Uh, John would have known, and his readers who'd had the, the Old Testament, they would have known. Jewish converts would have known the book of Leviticus. You know the book of Leviticus, the place where Bible reading plans go to die? They knew the book of Leviticus. 
They knew that right in the middle, in the heart of the book, is the holiness codes. And it had all the legislation that, in terms of, of what holiness looked like, not touching and not tasting, about sacred places and sacred times. And right in the middle of all that, in chapter 18, is this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not new. It's there in Leviticus. It's there in Exodus. We're going through the Ten Commandments on Sunday evenings. It's that whole second table of the law. Loving your neighbor. You remember the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. That's the whole second table of the law. It's been there. It's an old commandment. It's not something new. So today, this is not something new for you. You should have heard. You know this. Christian, you know this. John's not telling them something new. It's something old. And the commandment is this, love one another. That's what we're told. And then he gives them the example of Christ. You see that? Verse, a matter of fact, we saw this last week. Look at verse 6. The one who says he abides in him, that is in Christ, right, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So he says he abides in Christ. John, he's been thinking about our union with Christ, our fellowship with Christ, our, 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 our communion with Jesus. And John loves this word abide as well. He loves the word love, and he loves this word abide, or remain. Your translation may say remain. He uses it 40 times in the gospel of John. In, in just these little letters here at the end of our uh, text, or end of our Bibles, 25 times in these three short letters. He loves it. He uses it over and over. And John has thought, what are the consequences of abiding? What is the, what's it mean to abide in Christ? What, so what's it look like to abide in Christ? The, what's it mean to be in union and communion with Jesus Christ? And he says one of the consequences of being in union with Christ is this. It, you're in union with Christ? You're going to want to walk like Jesus walked. You want to look like Jesus looked. You want to love like Jesus loved. He's appealing to Christ. And he's saying, be like Christ. You've heard this before. Be like Christ. You heard it in the gospel, the gospel of John. They'd read it. They'd read it over and over. Uh, on the Lord's Day, they had received it and read it. We as a church, we've gone through John's gospel on the Lord's Day. And John is saying, I've told you, this is what love looks like. I've told you about the one who came, and he came into a world of darkness, and he brought light into this world. He is the light of life, the light of the world. And those two metaphors go to get together, right? Love and light and darkness and hate. They, he puts those two together. So the one who doesn't love, John says, he's in what? He's in darkness. 
The one who does love, he's in what? He's in the light. He's walking in the light. In the light, he's like Christ. You're in the light because you love. So he's, he's mixing these metaphors. He wrote his gospel, he does the same thing. Remember the time, it's the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, lasted about a week, John chapter 8. John, John tells us, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would come into the temple and they had this uh, ceremony. They would all put candles in the courts of the sanctuary and then the whole temple, especially at nighttime, would be lit up. It would be this glow. It would be this glowing light. And Jesus comes into that and says, I'm the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. And if you abide in Jesus, you're not in darkness, but you're in light. Or you remember how John goes on in his gospel later, that the second half of that gospel, the extraordinary thing. Remember on the night when Jesus is betrayed, when he and the disciples, they're in the upper room. Remember, he takes off his garment and he wraps the towel around him. Remember what he does? I mean, it's unthinkable. He gets down and he washes their feet. Remember that? I mean, to these fickle disciples that are all going to run off and abandon him anyway, he gets down, he washes their feet. He portrays himself as the lowliest servant. And remember what he said to the disciples, John 14? A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Love one another. So John, here in this letter, he's picking that up again. It's the same thing he's written before. He's picking that up. He's inserting. He says, remember this old commandment. You've heard it before. You've heard it over and over again. Love one another. This love, it's exemplified. It's been demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. Love like Jesus loved. Because the light has come. John's saying, whenever you think about love, think about Jesus. Whenever you want to know what love means, sorry, Jay Giles Band, it doesn't stink. Think about Jesus. You want to know how to define what love looks like? You got the template. In Jesus. That's where you learn. You want to know what love should look like in the body of Christ? His church? Look to Jesus. That's where you look. Look to Jesus. John says, think of him. Remember Paul's words? Paul, John's saying the same thing here. Think of him who thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Love like that. Self-sacrificial, giving love. Christ is the example of that. So what's that look like? That's where we have to leave being just pious and talking about things that we don't understand 
and start asking the real question, what's it look like then? What's it look like for us to do that? John's saying, I want you to love one another. I want you to, you to love like Jesus loves. Is that a, that's a great prayer for us. Everybody can pray that prayer today. Lord, I want to pray, I want to love like Jesus loves. I want to have compassion like Jesus has compassion. I want to, man, there's a great Keith Green song that says, I want to be more like Jesus. That's a great prayer. Every one of us could pray that. The question is, what does it mean? What do we mean when we say that? So let's get sp very specific. The specifics of love. So first off, I do want to say we need to love the world. And that's a provocative statement, right? But not in the terms that I mean. In evangelism and with compassion. If you love people, you will take the gospel to them. You do not want them to perish in their sins. You will take the good news of Christ. You will have compassion on those who are going to hell, and you will share the gospel with them. It's their only hope. Being nice to people and not sharing the gospel is hating them if they're lost in their sins. It's the only hope they'll have is that you would love them and tell them the gospel. Love for lost people has motivated the missionary movement, modern missionary movement, and continues to do that. And we need to be in that. But this text isn't so much talking about going to the lost. That's the first thing we do need to do that. This text is talking about brothers and sisters. What about us? What about us? So in this room right now, as we look around, what's it mean? What's this look like? Look around, even around. Do you know the people who sit around you? Do you know them? People next to you and behind you, in front of you. And I do want to say, I was going to do an experiment, walk across the room. Do not say, well, they sit over there, so I didn't get to talk to them. You can walk this in a hundred steps. Do you, know, do you know the people around the room? Do you? There's no excuse. Take advantage of the 30 minutes before the, between Sunday school and church and love one another. Get to know one another. Who they really are. Not just that they didn't like the officiating at yesterday's game. Get to know them. Take time afterwards. We don't lock these doors. We won't lock the doors if people are here loving on one another. You stay here as long as you want to love on one another. Take advantage of snack after the services on Sunday night. Just sit around and eat and chat and get to know and love one another. Take advantage of those opportunities that are here. And I want to say, that's more than being friendly. Did you know that? You can be friendly to complete strangers. This call is to love one another. Love one another. Friends, we must love one another. So afterwards today, here's your assignment. Do that. 
Engage someone. Love on someone. Greet the people in your pew or behind you or in front of you. If you're always surrounded by the same people and you're not as venturous as others to move, say, I've talked to you every week for 30 years. I'm going to go over here and talk to some people and get to know them. Young people, talk to the gray-headed people. Gray-headed people, talk to the young folk. You find the person that, hmm, I don't know if I've ever really engaged them in conversation. And you go to them. You go to them. Love on them. Don't just be friendly. Hi, how are you? Great, thanks. How's your week? Wonderful. Love them. Love them. Move out. Go to the visitors that you see and express your appreciation of their being here. Introduce, here's tough, introduce yourself to them. Being shy is not a, doesn't exempt you from this command. Introduce yourself. Tell them how glad you are they're here. And here's the great thing. No matter how you do it, it doesn't matter. Just do it. <laughs> it's not like here's the right way to approach someone or to love on someone. Just love on them. That's what you're commanded to do. Love one another. Make cards, letters, meals. And I want to commend, some of you are awesome at this, Right? Some of you are great. Elizabeth Morgison, I'm going to embarrass her. I don't see her or I point her out. She's great about writing cards. I stink at it. I can do better at that. Ellen is great with a meal. You might not want my cooking. But I could pick up something at Lee's for you. We, there's, there's no right way to show love, right? Just do it. I commend you. Some of you are great, and some of you need to be exhorted. Love one another. Don't just be friendly. This is Kentucky. Everybody's friendly. Another. Now, now let's get to meddling. And I want to say this, and I, and I want to be careful. I'm not going to say this. I don't want to be self-serving in any way. So I'm just going to talk about Phil and Scott. Love your leaders. Love your pastors. You do this. You have extraordinary pastors. So I have, I, this did make me feel like I was getting old. I had a, so ever since I was 19, I've been in... I've been in one ministry, whether it was youth, ministry, uh, youth pastor or various roles, they're called different things. But that makes, 
30 years now for me. 30, almost 30 years. And I want to tell you, I've heard pastors say terrible things about their congregations. And sometimes it was said jokingly, but terrible things. I tell you, these, these men love you. And they pray for you. And they're committed to you. Love them in return. Just a practical way. I mentioned cards. It's in my head. Uh, write them a card. Just tell them you love them. I keep a file. Eli Haru, when I was in Bible college, Eli Haru told us to keep a sad file. And so we kids draw a picture of me preaching, and it's not very kind drawing. I put it in my sad file. And when somebody writes me a card and it's, hey, thanks, this was encouraging. Or uh, Lucy Bodier, I've got a note. Thanks for teaching us the Bible. It just goes in my sad file. Because you know what? There are days that are sad. And sadness comes. And it's good to get that sad file out and to read it. So love on these brothers. Love on your Sunday school teacher. Don't take them for granted. They put time and effort in every lesson. And I know you do appreciate them, but it's kind of like after a while we forget to mention how much we appreciate. Love your Sunday school teachers. Love your deacons who labor and serve and care for. How many countless servants are here that we just walk by all the time and they're serving other people and you've never expressed that? That you love them and thank them. Even though you may be thankful for them. We are thankful for Bud Jeffries at the back door. And when Bud Jeffries is not here, we notice, right? When Sam and Lucy and Hannah and Lydia and Reagan are doing the, the projections. I'm thankful for that because if they don't do that, man, it's just a, an assistance to help our worship together. We, can, we need to let them know and love them and thank them. Time and time again, you look around, you see opportunities. Oh, I could encourage and and love on this person. Let us do it. Don't just think about it. Now let me really start to meddle. When John says love one another, let's ask this question. What does this text tell us about criticism? What's it... How, what does this text tell me about criticism? Because John is not, when he says love one another, he's not saying, so there will never be disagreements with you. He's not saying that. There will be disagreements. You know what? Our mixed up, crazy world, what's the, mo what's the mantra? Love is love. Love is love. Whatever that means. It means affirm me, uh, 
never, con never correct me. Whatever I say or do, you celebrate it. It doesn't matter what it is. Today's world says there can be no disagreements. If there's a disagreement, it's not, you can't be loving them. But that's not true. That's not true. There are clear disagreements. We have disagreements with the world, yet we still are compassionate and loving towards them. We have disagreements in the church. And we will have disagreements. We'll have disagreements till Jesus comes back again. They take place. They're real. John isn't saying you can never disagree. And I'll really push that. He's never saying you can't be angry. But if you're going to be angry, you be careful about that anger because sin is lying right at the doorstep. You be careful that the sun not go down on your wrath. But John isn't saying all your emotions, all those, he's not saying you need to be a stoic and any emotion that you have just needs to be suppressed. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, don't care about doctrine or what people believe. John cared more about doctrine than anyone in this room. John's saying there are times, right? And he, he, he will say this later on in the book. You have to deal with someone's bad doctrine. He's going to tell you that. He's going to say you're going to have to deal with someone. And even in this, this letter, he's going to pick that up. So he's not saying uh, just ignore all those things. Just, just you put up with that person or their sinfulness. You just, you just don't worry about it. He's not saying that. That's not what he's saying. Let me give you an example from a dear brother in Louisville. Close, best friend in Louisville. He gets married. He actually lived with us for a short time before he got married. Um, it was game night every night. It was awesome. Loved him. He was passionate about the church and he cared. He loved the people in the church and he cared for the people about the church. And because he did care, he would grow frustrated with particulars like the music and decisions he didn't care for or things that didn't suit him. And when he gets married, his sweet bride, he, she comes in. And she would listen week after week after week about the criticism of the pastors, of the members in the church. Week after week, hearing criticisms. And you know what the consequences of those things were? She lost all taste for the church. He loved that church. But she was turned off. And she was turned off to the leaders. She was turned off. And he ended up leaving seminary. He had to leave and focus on his marriage, which was the right thing to do. So I wonder, how, how many of our kids have sat and heard moms and dads handle their criticisms in such a way they just grow numb? They lose any taste for it. You know, when he says there's no cause for stumbling, that works both ways. 
So walking as Christ walked, abiding in Christ, keeping his commands is this example to love. It keeps you from falling into sin, but you know what else it helps? Other people from stumbling into sin. I wonder what you do, brothers and sisters, when you go home a nice fall Sunday afternoon. What's on uh, for Sunday lunch? Roast Sunday school teacher. Filet a deacon. Frustrating member souffle. Or the ever popular pastor a la carte. What's going to get, what's, what's going to happen at lunch? John is saying, if you criticize like that, it becomes part and parcel to who you are. You're really attacking yourself because we are one body in Christ. To attack others with your tongue is really to attack Christ, the head of the church. That's what's at stake here. The problem, it's a symptom of your heart. It's something desperately wrong, and it's not your deacon or your Sunday school teacher. It's our hearts. If that's how we live. And friends, we're as susceptible to it as anybody. He's writing to this church in Ephesus but we can, we're just as guilty. We could fall into the same traps. I've, you've seen that, haven't you? Where churches, where the people of God are torn apart, they barely will ever, they won't speak to each other anymore. Christians who bear grudges, and not even grudges about primary things. They bear grudges about secondary and tertiary things. Things that are of no consequence whatsoever. They bear those grudges for 30 and 40 years. You know what? They're miserable people. Miserable people, and they, they're miserable to be with. And not only are they miserable people, they're lonely people, and they're going to die in their loneliness because that, it's like cancer that just eats away at us. Maybe you say, well, I'm the kind of person I just got to complain. I, I complain a lot, so I know what I speak about. Be like William Cooper, the hymn writer who in one of his hymns says, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is so weak and faint. You want something to complain about? Complain about how weak we are. That I don't, what's my problem? I don't love enough. Why, don't, why can't I do that? And friends, what would IBC look like if this, is, if this takes place? What, what's it look like? If we adopted what John says here, it would be a congregation like this, where everyone is patient and kind, where everyone, no one envies, where folks are not proud, folks are not rude, people are not self-seeking, where no one is easily angered, where no one keeps a record of wrongs, where people don't delight in evil, where people do rejoice in the truth, where people protect and trust, where people always hope 
and they always persevere. That's 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? That's what it would look like. Imagine if we embrace that, not just individually, but corporately. Got to say this. It's time's gone. And this is more personal. But John does not mince words here, does he? The apostle of love. The apostle of love says, you want to know how serious this thing is about loving one another? Here's how serious it is. If you don't love your brother and sister, you're in darkness. That's what, that's what he says. I can't escape it. I, I have to say that because John says that today. Even in this lesson, this, this sermon even, right, about loving one another. You can't escape this truth. If someone's here this morning, they might actually hate their brother and sister. John, I mean, that was in the church he was writing to. It could be here too. Maybe a relationship that's just gone sour. Maybe it's that person. You can't think about that person without just negative thoughts and oh maybe you wish ill of them more likely you probably don't wish harm you, you you certainly would never say that you hate them more likely because we're good country folks it's just nothing just nothing 